second place, he said, uh, all right, what is the book of Hebrews? And, and he bet all his money in, on that. And then the person in first place bet all his money. And he said, what is the book of Romans? And so that sparked a big debate over, did Paul actually write the book of Hebrews or not? And this debate raged on for about three weeks in uh, the, the Jeopardy-verse and Twitter-verse and Metaverse, and it kept going until finally the Jeopardy judges came out with the final answer to settle all disputes. <laughs> and, and their answer was, well, you know, all of our contestants know that when, you, when we ask a Bible question, we're asking that Bible question from the authorized King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> and in the authorized King James Version of the Bible, it says as a title, the epistle of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrews. And so that, that settled all dispute. <laughs> and after that, no one said anything. But actually, the author of Hebrews is unknown. It could have been Paul. But uh, when you look at the end of the book of, of Hebrews, I have it up there, chapter 13. It says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Those from Italy send you their greetings. And that sounds so much like the end of Paul's letters and some of his other letters that for a long time people said, well, it's Paul, but it never says that it's Paul. So it's already, uh, so we don't know for sure. And then uh, people have suggested a lot of names, Paul, Barnabas, Luke, uh, Silas, Epaphras, Apollos, anybody that's connected with Paul would have his name up there and you read about them in the New Testament. Uh, especially the book of Acts, most of these people are there and some in other letters of Paul. So we don't really know who it is. We can make a lot of guesses and maybe it was Paul, maybe it was somebody else. But the, really the most important thing is the book of Hebrews is the inspired, infallible, authoritative word of God. And, and that, that trumps everything. And no matter who the author was, this is what's true. And so even if we knew who the author was, it doesn't really help us understand what's there better than if we don't know who the author is. So that's enough about authorship. We have the date. Based on that ending of the book, it's someone is in prison in Rome. They just got out. Timothy is about to get out. And they're sending the letter from Italy. It sounds like it's late 60s um, when a lot of the New Testament was written. So the audience of the book. The original audience uh, would appear to be Jewish Christians who spoke Greek. They used the Septuagint and originally heard the gospel from the apostles. All right, everyone knows the Septuagint, right? It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. It was translated around 200 BC. So it was there before Jesus uh, came into the world. All right, so, uh, and this is actually one of the verses that would indicate that maybe Paul didn't write it because it talks about, we, 
the gospel has come to us from the apostles. And, and so, anyway, that's the audience. All right, Hebrews uh, is written as a letter. That's number one. Uh, it's written with direct address to the readers. Some describe it as a theological treatise. That's number two. And uh, others call Hebrews a long exhortation. Exhortation, number three. It's hard to categorize which of these. The author himself calls it a word of exhortation, and he calls it a short letter. So that gives us an idea of what kind of book we're dealing with. Uh, the style of Hebrews is that of a pendulum swinging back and forth from theological argument to persuasive exhortation. So you have theology, you know, and then exhortation, doctrine, exhortation, and so on. It goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like a pendulum. I really have a dry mouth this morning, so I'm going to get something to drink here. <laughs> All right, characteristics. Hebrews has multiple warnings and is written with a sense of urgency. Warning, 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 watch out, watch out, watch out. That's a, the kind of way, takeaway you get from this book. The author exhibits a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. It's both deep and profound and has over 100 either direct quotations, indirect references, or allusions to the Old Testament, which is why that Jeopardy question came up. It's got, it actually has more references to the Old Testament than Romans, but we don't know who wrote <laughs> the book of Hebrews. All right, so uh, the occasion, Jewish Christians were facing persecution, confiscation of property, and excommunication, and they were tempted to fall away. Excommunication meaning excommunicated from the temple, excommunicated from the synagogue, excommunicated from their own families. Jewish families, if you became a Christian, they would excommunicate you. All right. So the, the Christians that the author is writing to are facing this situation where they're under so much pressure to go back, to turn back, turn away. And so there's lots of negative exhortations coming through this book. Uh, we'll look more at them, but a couple, do not harden your hearts, do not fall away. Keeps pounding on that theme. But then there's also the positive ones. Hold firmly to the faith, hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, and fix your eyes on Jesus. So you have both the negative and the positive exhortations uh, pounding on you as you listen to this book. And uh, there's probably many verses that could be a key verse. I just picked this one. Uh, who would like to read it for us? Okay, Maureen. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. All right, thank you. So there again. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. In other words, keep going. He's the perfecter of our faith and, and so on. He faced all the persecution that anyone could ever face. And now that Christians are facing the same thing, don't give up, persevere to the end. All right, all right. you're going to scoff at my outline. <laughs> it's, you're going to laugh at me for this one. But, okay. 
So I'm calling it a pendulum outline. It's just to make a point. So, all right, it didn't come forward. All right, I messed something up. Okay, I'm gonna have to escape and come back in. Well, it's not escape anymore. I know a good classmate that can. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> okay. Me, I'm not so friendly with PowerPoint. <laughs> Just learning it myself. It's a little late to learn this stuff. All right, so the book begins with doctrine, swings forward to exhortation, swings back to doctrine, swings forward to exhortation, swings back to doctrine, swings forward to exhortation, and it does that like six times as you work your way through the book. It's like a pendulum. Doctrine, exhortation, doctrine, exhortation, doctrine, exhortation. It's like a pendulum swinging back and forth, back and forth. All right, that, it doesn't tell you a whole lot, but I guess it gets across a point. <laughs> All right, so doctrinal themes. What is the biggest doctrinal theme in the book of Hebrews? My guess is that it's the contrast between the new order introduced by Christ and the old order before Christ. And that contrast is made with this way. The new order is better than, it's more than, it's greater than, and it's superior to the old order. And we'll see that over and over as we go through the book. So, for example, the son is greater than the prophets, he's greater than the angels, he's greater than Moses, he's greater than Joshua, he's greater than Levi, he's greater than Aaron, all the way through the book, greater than. Jesus is greater than everything and everyone that came before. Okay, Jesus introduces a better covenant with better promises and a better hope. Better, 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 all the way through the book. Jesus offers a better sacrifice as a greater high priest in a greater priesthood. All right, we'll keep going through that. And the heavenly reality is greater than the earthly shadow, or to put it in another way, the original in heaven is greater than the copy on earth. And that comes in toward the latter part of the book. And the eternal replaces the temporal, and the perfect replaces the imperfect. So these are the, the themes that run through. Then we have the negative exhortation themes we talked about. Here's a few more. Do not fall away. Do not drift away. Do not go astray. Do not fall short. Do not ignore the message. Do not harden your hearts. Do not throw away your confidence. Do not fail to enter God's rest. Do not fall into unbelief over and over and over. And, and there's probably more phrases in there. These are most of them. And they just keep coming over and over and over and over. Don't turn back, all right? Don't fall away. Persevere to the end. Oh, positive exhortation theme. All right, this is the persevere side. Pay careful attention to the message. Hold firmly to the faith. Wait patiently. Hold firmly to the end. Show diligence to the end. Take hold of the hope. Uh, hold unswervingly to the hope. Make every effort to enter God's rest. Persevere in the faith and fix your eyes on Jesus. Over and over and over and over again. Don't fall away, but persevere to the end. Keep going. Don't give up. 
All right, so that's like our introduction. Now we'll look at some commentary stuff. And um, I, I want to focus on two words as we go through uh, the book of Hebrews. The, the first word is better, and the second word is perfect. And so as we work through Hebrews, we're going to look at better and perfect. And under better, I broke it into two, the better person and who does a better work. So we'll look at the better person. So the son superior to the prophets. Who could read this one for us? In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. <clears throat> sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Okay, thank you. That's the opening. We're just getting started. All right. So if you were Jewish, you would be bragging about you, you have the prophets. You have the angels. You have Moses. You have the covenant. You have the law. These are all the things you would be bragging about as a Jew. You would be proud about. And, uh, and now something greater than everything, all those things has come along. And so here we have uh, the, the son is the one that's speaking to us. Uh, he is the heir of all things. The son is the heir of all. He owns it all. He owns the whole universe. He owns all of history. He owns all of us. He owns everything. He is the heir of all things, uh, which is like the, the rights or the privileges of a firstborn son. He, he is the, the heir. That's in, when it talks about Jesus and it talks about firstborn, it's not talking about a baby being born, but it's talking about being the heir, having the privileges. All right. Uh, he... He's the heir of all things. He's also the one who made the universe. All right, now if you, if you think about the Trinity, I think the typical way people think about it is God the Father planned the whole creation. The Son executed the plan by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you could say the Father created all things, the Son created all things, the Holy Spirit created all things, or you could just say God created all things. Well, the Son is here called the creator of all things, all right? Something greater is happening here than anything that went before. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, all right? It, it's called the Shekinah glory, and, and the glory that Jesus possesses is equal to the glory that the Father possesses. He is equal in every way with the Father, he has the same glory. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you see that glory shining out. His face is shining like the sun. His clothes are bright as light. That Shekinah glory of Jesus is equal to the glory of the Father. All right, He is the exact representation of his being. So if you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. All right, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He, and he said, uh, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, all right? 
So in every way, Jesus is 100% equal with God the Father. Um, he sustains all things by his powerful word, right? He's omnipotent. <laughs> he is in control of all providence. He is the sovereign God in control of all things. That's uh, who, who Jesus is. And then it goes on to talk about how he made purification for sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus, having died and paid the price for all of our sins, ascends into heaven and sits on God's throne. Who has the right to sit on God's throne? God. <laughs> so in every way, everything is saying this, this uh, is is uh, God in the flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is so far superior to the prophets as far as the heavens are above the earth. That's how much Jesus is greater than all the prophets. So don't go leave Jesus behind and go back to the prophets. Persevere with Jesus. All right, he's superior to the angels. Who can read this one for us? Thank you. All right, so here it is, just stated right out, he is superior to the angels. And he's gotten a better name. The name is Son. And of course, Son there is with the capital S indicating deity. He is, he is God the Son. And it talks about God bringing his firstborn into the world. Again, he's the heir. That means he has the privileges and the rights of of and he is the heir of all things. And so he's the owner of all things when he brings the owner into the world. Uh, let all God's angels worship him. All right, that is so awesome. With the Ten Commandments, what do they tell us? Do not worship anything or anyone except the one true and living God. And now God is telling the angels, worship the son. In other words, it would, he, it's saying the son is the true and living God and you should worship him. And, and so um, it's just awesome that, he, he would re that God would command us to worship him is saying he is God the son. All right. Um, and then he says, your throne, oh God. He's just addressed as God. The Son is called God. He's addressed as God. His throne will last forever and ever. He, he sits on an eternal throne. It's not temporary like David and Solomon. It's eternal. It's forever and ever. He's been reigning for how long now? <laughs> In one sense, forever past till now. But uh, from his ascension till now as the messianic king, 
He has been reigning for 2,000 years. He's going to keep on reigning. All right, his throne will last forever and ever. Sounds a little better than the angels. So don't go back to putting all your hope in the angels that fight for, they fought for Israel and everything in the Old Testament, brought messages from the Father. But listen to the Son now. He's far superior. The Son's superior to Moses. Who can read this for us? Thanks, Eddie. All right. So here again, the son is superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses. And uh, I just want to say, everyone, just jump in whenever you want. <laughs> if you want to add in uh, more things. All right. So, uh, so Moses is faithful as a servant in the house maybe the greatest servant in the house in the Old Testament. He is the greatest servant in the house, the mediator of the covenant, the giver, the giver of the law, mediator of the law. He is faithful in that service as a servant, and, and the whole Jewish nation looks up to him, the author of the first five books of the Bible. And now we're told that Jesus... Is, is the son over the house. <laughs> so Moses is a servant of Jesus, all right? So that's how superior Jesus is to Moses. He's the son over the house. Moses is a servant inside the house. And, and again, as far as the heavens are above the earth, that's how far Jesus is above anyone here on earth. And, and so... Um, so we think of like the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is up on the mount. His, he's transfigured and all the glory is shining out. And who's he talking to? <laughs> Moses and Elijah, the, the representatives of the law and the prophets. There's Moses and Elijah appearing as servants of the king. All right, King Jesus and his servants, Moses and Elijah, they are like reporting to him and, and discussing things with him. All right, so Jesus is superior to Moses. And then he's, he's a better person. We saw better than all these other people. He is also has a better work. So first of all, he is a great high priest. Therefore, since we have... Uh, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So he's introduced here as a great high priest in chapter 4. Chapter 1 already told us he made purification for sins. Chapter 2 told us that he's a high priest. Chapter 
3, I believe, also mentioned he's a high priest. Here he's called the great high priest, a great high priest. And that's going to be developed all the way through the whole book. All right? He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So Christ, okay, who can read this one for us? Okay, thank you. All right, so uh, who knows where that comes from? Everybody should know. Psalm 110, I heard someone say. Psalm 110 is correct. All right, the psalm opens up. Remember the famous verse that Jesus quoted? The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So, you know, Jesus ascends into heaven to sit on the throne, and he's also... Uh, a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's a, we'll get into that a little more. Okay, first of all, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and greater than Levi. Who can read this verse? A nice short one. <laughs> Jump in. <laughs> one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Adam. Through Abraham, okay. So this is the story of Abraham went to fight and rescue Lot, and he comes back, and he gives a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is, you know, king of Salem, king of Jerusalem. He's prince, king of peace, whatever. And, and he brings out the bread and wine and all that. And Abraham is giving a tenth to him. Abraham isn't acting as a, just a sole individual, he's acting as a representative of all, the, all those who come after him. So when he gives a tenth to Melchizedek, it's the same as Levi giving a tenth to, to, uh, to Melchizedek and, and the whole nation of Israel giving a tenth to, to Melchizedek and the whole church giving a tenth to Melchizedek. And so on, he's representing all those who follow him. He's acting as a representative. And when he does that, it's as if you gave uh, Melchizedek a tenth of everything. Because <laughs> he's acting as a representative. The show, and it shows that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and everything. So Melchizedek is much greater than Abraham because Abraham is giving him the tenth. And he's getting the blessing from Melchizedek and so on. So, so that just shows that the Melchizedek of the Old Testament was greater than all the people. Now, Jesus is uh, put into the priesthood of... All right, the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the priesthood of Levi. All right? In, when Moses came, he set up the, the covenant, and part of the covenant was the whole sacrificial system, which was run by the tribe of Levi, and so there was a priesthood of Levi where Aaron was the first high priest and so on. And that went through the whole Old Testament. But now when we come to the New Testament, Jesus, he's made a priest, but not in the, in the order of Aaron, but in the order of Melchizedek. Who can read this verse for us? Perfecting citizens for the invisible church on the basis of his belonging to 
All right. So it's telling us that the Levitical priesthood didn't have the power to make us perfect. We'll see that in a minute. But Jesus, who is in the priesthood of Melchizedek, uh, does have the power to make us perfect. So the one is not good enough. This, you need something better than what was there in the Old Testament. And that is, is Jesus. All right, so his priesthood is superior to the priesthood of the Old Testament, and he introduces a better hope. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So Jesus is a better high priest in a better priesthood, giving us a better hope, and so on. He's the guarantee of a better covenant. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So there's the old Mosaic covenant and now the new covenant that Jesus is bringing in. Um, and it's better. All right. Jesus sits on a better throne, a heavenly throne, and he serves in a better uh, a heavenly tabernacle. All right. So David and Solomon, they sat on thrones in, the, in Jerusalem. Jesus is sitting on God's throne in heaven. When he ascended into heaven, he sat down on God's throne. He also, uh, the Old Testament priests, they served in, in the earthly tabernacle built by Moses or the temple built by Solomon. And Jesus is in the actual heavenly tabernacle, the original, the, the one of which the things on earth are just a shadow or a copy. All right, who can read the verse for us? The point of what we were saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, that true tabernacle set up by the Lord on high. All right, so there again, Jesus ascends into heaven, sits down on God's throne in heaven. And he, when he ascended into heaven, remember, he brought his blood into the heavenly tabernacle and so on. So he's, he's in heaven on a heavenly throne in a heavenly tabernacle, which is far superior to those in the Old Testament who sat on earthly thrones and served in an earthly tabernacle. The ministry of Jesus is superior to the Levitical priests. Oh, we've got a couple here. The covenant of Jesus superior to the Mosaic Covenant and the Covenant of Jesus founded on better promises. All that in one short verse. Who can read that for us? But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one and it is founded on better promises. Thank you. All right. So the ministry of Jesus is superior to theirs, speaking of the Levitical priests. The, Jesus is superior to the Levitical priest, and he's the mediator of a covenant that's superior to the one that Moses uh, mediated in the Old Testament, and this covenant is founded on better promises than the one in the Old Testament. The blood of Jesus superior to the blood of animals. Who would like to read this one? 
All right, so the, the, the blood of animals is not sufficient to make us perfect. It cannot take away our sin. A sacrifice has to be made by an equal. Right. Well, there's actually three qualifications. The one making the sacrifice has to be 100% God, he has to be 100% man, and he has to have lived a sinless life. All right? and, and that sacrifice is sufficient to save all of us in this room <laughs> and beyond. So, um, but the blood of animals can't do that. All right, so now that was the first half of our commentary. The second half is on the word perfect. It'll be a little shorter. All right, so first of all, the son was made perfect through suffering. Who would like to read this one? In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, thank you. So... Um, was Jesus imperfect and made perfect? I don't think so. <laughs> so what does it mean that he was made perfect? All right, excuse me, but I'm going to use a sports analogy. All right. Uh, let's say uh, the, the bowling. If you're going to bowl a perfect game, you have to have like a total of 12 strikes to get a perfect game. All right. So you, you bowl the first one, you get a strike. That's perfect, but it's not a perfect game yet. <laughs> you ball the second one, you get another strike. Well, that's perfect. That frame is perfect, but you, you still are, can't be called a perfect game. But it's not until you've rolled that final 12th strike that then that strike is perfect, but it also makes it a perfect, a perfect game. All right? So you're perfect all the way through, but it's not called a perfect game until you're done. And the same is true of Jesus. He lived perfect, sinless life every single day, but it wasn't called a sinless life until it was done. When it was done, it's, yes? Yeah, well, that was it. When, when it's all done, then you can say he lived a perfect life. So he lived perfect every day, but then on the day he died, he, he finished the whole thing, so you can say he lived a perfect life. The whole life was perfect. Yeah. You know, I think often of perfect as also meaning complete. And, and I think that it's really helpful to us to understand that Christ's life wasn't complete without suffering. And it gives us understanding of suffering in our lives. You know, that our lives wouldn't be complete without suffering. And um, I think that's very helpful to look at Christ and see the role that suffering played in his completion of his life. You know, it's not that we're doing it wrong. It's part of God's plan for us. And, and that's one of the things the author is trying to tell his audience. <laughs> You're going through all this suffering, and, but Jesus went through it all before you. And so he's the ultimate example of dealing with suffering and, and our suffering is like so minuscule compared to what Jesus suffered. And so no matter what kind of suffering we deal with, he has dealt with that and more, bigger, on a bigger scale. It is a bigger scale, but it's still overwhelming to us 
because I think that there's a very sweet reality that Christ calls us to fellowship in his suffering. You know, that there's, when you suffer with somebody, you know, like on a mission trip or whatever in life, you get to know that person in a whole different way. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Christ has invited us to have fellowship of suffering together is, is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And it creates in us a, an undying love for the Savior. <laughs> so, all right, very good. So the Son made perfect. All right, once made perfect, the Son became the source of eternal salvation. Who would like to read this one? Okay, so Jesus becomes perfect, and then he's able to make all of us perfect. Eternal salvation. We'll see more of that later. All right, so perfection is not attained through the Levitical priesthood. Who would like to read this one? If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? All right. Thank you. Okay. So it's telling us right out that perfection cannot be obtained through the Levitical priesthood. Something better is needed, and that's the priesthood of in the, a priest in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. In other words, it's talking about Jesus, who is the priest in the order of Melchizedek, is superior to uh, the Levitical priesthood. And what it's saying is the Levitical priesthood could not bring perfection, but Jesus can bring perfection. He's a different kind of priest. All right. Because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So in the Levitical priesthood, you're offering bulls and goats. And the blood of animals is, is not able to take away sins. And there's a long section on that in, I guess it's chapter 10. Okay, it's not obtained through the Levitical priesthood. Perfection is not attained through the law. Who can read this one? All right, so the law, the law is like the big thing in the Old Testament, given by God through Moses to the nation of Israel. But now the law is called weak and useless because it couldn't make anything perfect. When you think about it, the law itself is perfect. It is the perfect law of God, but the law doesn't have the power to make us perfect. All the law can do is expose all of our sin. <laughs> it cannot make us perfect. But, but the, law, the law itself is perfect, but it cannot make us perfect where Jesus can, as we'll see in a minute. All right, so the, all the sacrifices couldn't make us perfect. The law couldn't make us perfect. For the law can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, 
make perfect those who draw near to worship. If the sacrifices took away all sin, you wouldn't need to keep making them all the time. It would be over and done with, which is true of Jesus. He made it once for all time. It's over and done with, and because we've been made perfect by that one sacrifice. Okay, perfection not attained through the Mosaic Covenant. Who can read this one? Right. The very fact that the Old Testament is telling us there's a new covenant coming to replace the existing one, it's just saying that it's, uh, you cannot attain perfection through that covenant uh, on Mount Sinai. But perfection only attained through the sacrifice of the Son. Somebody read this one. So all those sacrifices, all the laws, the whole covenant was not able to make anyone perfect, but the one sacrifice of the sinless Son of God uh, makes us perfect forever. And finally, okay, who can read our final one? Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Who can read this one? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, thank you. So there it is. You know, persevere to the end. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't turn back. Don't fall away. Keep on going, just like Jesus kept going all the way to the point of death on a cross. Right, And so no matter what kind of suffering we go through, we need to persevere, follow Jesus uh, through that suffering, and following that suffering is eternal salvation. All right, who has uh, questions or comments they'd like to make? Yes. That's awesome. It makes me want to read it again. <laughs> Good. Anyone else? I think it lays down such a clear message from the time in Genesis where God made skins to cover Adam and Eve. You know, they came out with fig leaves, we think. Um, but there was blood shed to cover them. Mm-hmm. And to tell it to you again and again and again. Yeah. 
And if you read this in your Hebrew, you say, oh, but it, this is heresy. This is completely not what I've been taught. And this is, this is not possible. I mean, everything that has been has been replaced by a newer, better covenant. But it doesn't hold back. It doesn't say, well, if you'd like to. It, it declares so many different times uh, the beauty and perfection of Jesus. And that there is no other way. And it is superior. Uh, it's, it's an amazing book. Mm. It's good. Anyone else? I didn't do a hard question, which was, <laughs> did, did God make a new covenant? And, and the answer is, is a little tricky. The, it's the same covenant, but it has a new administration. So there is a new administration of the covenant, where before it was administered through you know, the sacrifices, now it's, it's, it's administered through the sacrifice of Christ and so on. Now, it's the same covenant, but it, ha it has a new administration of that covenant, which makes the, the New Testament make it look like it's, it's so new that the old one it was no good at all. Well, the old one really pointed everything forward to Christ. And so the old, old one was used to point everything to Christ. And, and, um, and then when he came, he's the fulfillment of all things. So, all right. So um, let's pray, and then we'll head into the service. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the book of Hebrews. The book is so awesome, and we can only scratch the surface of it. Lord, we just ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we go into the worship service. Fill us with a spirit of worship to sing praises to your glory. Fill us with uh, an ear to hear the preaching of the word of God. And fill us, Lord, with generous hearts to give generously to your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Tim. Can I have your attention for just a second? Next week is going to be first section. Thank you. Thank you.